Hello and welcome to the DanceCast, where I explore dance as an art form, traveling to non-traditional places and with non-traditional doers. I'm your host and my name is Silva Lapkain. Welcome to DanceCast and episode 40. How amazing that I have made 40 episodes with 40 amazing people and how fitting that for my 40th episode I talked to Ginger Lane who has been an active member of the Chicago dance community for over 40 years. Her experiences pre and post disability uniquely position her at the intersection of dance and disability where her focus is on inclusive dance. She's currently a dancer and choreographer with Momenta Dance Company, based in Oak Park, Illinois. For 10 years, she was a member of Dance Detour, one of Chicago's first mixed abilities dance companies. Ginger is the coordinator of the Arts and Culture Project at Access Living, the independent living center in Chicago, where she has produced a physically integrated dance concert, Counterbalance, for the last 10 years. She is the 2017 recipient of a Three Arts Award in Dance. A strong disability rights activist, Ginger promotes the inclusion and independent living philosophy of people with disabilities in all areas of life. This has been recorded in the mucky Austin, Texas, so all the crickets and all the sounds of uh, evening Austin are here in our background, and I, I, I quite enjoy that. I hope you'll also enjoy the episode. Hi, Silva. It's Ginger. Hi, Ginger. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Well, Ginger, thank you so much for being my guest at Dance Guest. My what pleasure. A, what an honor. Well, tell me a little bit, Ginger. How did you get involved in dance? I, I was thinking about that question last night, how I got involved with dance is that I've always considered myself a dancer. And I'm originally from Germany. Okay. So I I came over right after World War II. And uh, there are stories, I was the youngest, I am the youngest of seven children. So when I came, I was about six and a half. And I don't remember a whole lot, but my sisters tell me that I would be, on the shipboard, I would dance on the captain's table. So dance has just always been a part of how I define myself and and who I am. And it comes down basically to loving movement Uh and expressing myself, uh, not with words, but with movement. Yes. Yes. And then once I came here, uh, I must have been you know, either bouncing off the walls or running a- around a lot because my my mother said, we need to get you into dance class. So I took a dance class, which was a lot of fun. But then she and my dad sent me to an arts camp, Interlochen National Music Camp. And that opened up a wonderful world for me of not just dance, but all the arts. Oh, yeah. Because it was music and theater 
and visual arts, painting and, and drawing uh, and, and singing, and of course dance. And that's where I felt very much at home. And where did you come when you came to America? Did you go straight to Chicago? No, no I, we spent about a, a month in New York. Okay. Because it was right after the war, so we had to live in quarantine. And so I lived in the Bronx for about a month, and then we took a train, came to Chicago, and uh, everything. And so I, I grew up after the age of six and a half in Chicago. Okay. And have and have remained here since then. Okay. So did dance become your profession as well earlier on? Yes. It, it dance as part dance as part of my life uh, didn't become a profession. Let me think about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I went to Northwestern University for college, where I majored in theater and dance. But Northwestern didn't have a very good dance department at that time. So my major really was theater and, and English. But shortly thereafter, I, I got married and I had children and began to teach. So I taught dance for many years. I see. And also occasionally performed. And it wasn't um, until sometime in my 30s that I began to choreograph in the area where we lived. And so I choreographed for a lot of the school, different high schools and, um, and intermediate schools and community theater. And so that then led into a, a nice profession of teaching class and choreography. And then once I became disabled, uh, that opened up yet another world for me in, in terms of disability, combining disability and dance. Wow. Wow. That is uh, interesting. And I, I saw an interview with you where um, I think the question was like, are you a choreographer or a dancer? And then you list all, all these things like, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm a female, I'm a dancer. And I just was like, I, I got the idea how like dance is really just part, like you have said now a couple of times, that dance is really part of your life. It, it, it Dance is very much a part of my life. But I also, I took a detour when I became disabled, uh, because all, all through all through school, I had this tug of war with myself about dance or sports. I was very athletic and became disabled through a sports injury. And so my detour became, was I did not see myself as a dancer any longer because I have a pretty high level spinal cord injury. So that entire concept of the classic ballet body mm. and Balanchine was no longer available to me. And I began to focus more on disability and disability activism and disability rights. I see. 
So there have always been these two threads in my life since I became disabled, and which were uh, I'm passionate about disability rights and independent living, yet I'm still passionate about dance because that's where my heart is and that's my first love. And starting in, I'm thinking for a second here, about 1995, Mm -hmm. I connected with another dancer who also has a disability and she had a, a company here in Chicago and I began to work with her and then we had the opportunity to perform with the Joffrey Ballet uh, for a benefit and that was like a highlight of my life because I actually knew both Bob Joffrey and Jerry Arpino and so when, when the company moved to Chicago and this opportunity came up to perform, I was in seventh heaven, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, you know, building blocks, that led to more performances and performing. And then in the early 2000s, I connected with Momenta Dance Company and Stephanie Clemens and really began to perform and choreograph for that company. And always, so they put on, uh, they have two um, concerts a year, a spring concert and a fall concert. And I began to choreograph pieces so that a physically integrated piece was has always been on the program uh, for both their spring and their fall concerts. Oh, that's interesting. I was actually about to ask, what was it that drew you back after acquiring your disability to the dance world? So you met somebody. Correct. I, I, what drew me back into the dance world uh, on a more professional level was meeting another dancer who had a disability, who had a company, Alana Wallace had company dance detour in Chicago. And so I began to work with, and I was part of that company for 10 years. Okay. Okay. We performed with the Joffrey and then I went, and so did Alana, went out to, uh, to Axis Dance Company for an intensive, for a week intensive workshop and connected with all these other dancers who had disabilities and realized that there was a whole world of physically integrated dance. And I went and took some contact improv classes as well. And kind of, you know, one thing built on another. And then, uh, but I started being employed at Access Living back in 1990. And starting in when we built our own building uh, in 2008, we started an arts and culture project. And I said, well, as part of this arts and culture project, which was to produce about 10 events a year, why couldn't dance be one of those events? And I started uh, to produce a... a uh, an event called, that I called Counterbalance. So that I've been doing that 
since 2008, one a, one a year. And it's it's been great. So I had coffee yesterday coffee. with a woman named Terry O'Hare. Mm-hmm. And she was just talking about Access Living. Will you tell me a little bit about that organization? About Access Living is, I would say, they started in 19, 1980 or the early 80s. And Access Living is a center for service, advocacy, and civil rights for people with disabilities. The, the goal of which is to further the independence of people with disabilities to live lives of quality determined by people with disabilities. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, and that that is their Access Living's mission. As part of that mission, that we had this little branch of arts and culture that we said, well, you know, life doesn't just exist to get people into housing or into um, accessible transportation, but it exists also so that people can express themselves, can have lives of the spirit and the soul and, and of the arts, because that's part of life. Yes. And that's how the whole idea of the Arts and Culture Project and then dance came into being. So do you still currently work with Momenta as well? Yes. Yes. Wow. I have, I've worked with Momenta. And the way that came about, do you want to hear about <laughs> Yes, that? I do. I do. <laughs> well, it's very interesting because I was in the market for a new wheelchair. Okay. And I met this guy, Chris Lenzo, who was at the time working for a, uh, a company. And I said, well, I need a wheelchair. So we were chatting and talking, and he found out that I was a dancer. And he had just, his daughter was taking dance out at, at the Academy of Movement and Music, which is the the uh, the teaching arm of Momenta. Hmm. Momenta is the performing uh, arts end. Uh, and this is in Oak Park, Illinois, about nine miles west of Chicago. And Chris would go and watch his daughter, but he could not get up in their building up to the second floor, where, which is where their performances were. And so they... Momenta and the Academy wrote it. They put in ranks, they made the bathrooms accessible, and they had enough money to, to install a lift that would carry people up to the second floor. At the same time that they did that, they um, got, fun, or got funding so that they could have their, their first um, performance be accessible. They got funding to have a a musician um, create a work, and Larry Ipple, who was um, the co-founder 
of the Academy of Movement and Music, along with Stephanie Clemens, wanted to choreograph a piece. And so they commissioned the music, Larry choreographed it, and Chris said to Larry and to Stephanie, well, I know this woman who's a dancer who uses a wheelchair. So Larry called me and said, I'd love to have you involved in the piece. And that was the beginning of my involvement with the Academy and Momentum. Wow. And that was about 10 years ago, you said? To that, 2003. Oh, longer than that. Wow. Long yeah. Wow. I'm really interested how it happened in America that people with disabilities got involved with dance because there is no formal training. There because is, there, there is no formal training yet. Like, well, mm -hmm. right. So and, you, and all, a, you all were yeah. like pioneers and, and doing these things that were not seen in public so much and wasn't the standard. I mean, still isn't. We're still struggling with that idea. Um, but at least like... I am very pleased to always, when I do these interviews and I'm compiling a book, I'm, I have a book project that was initiated by Alice Shepard. Ah, doing with Okay, so Alice Shepard, when I started doing these uh, counterbalance concerts, mm -hmm. I began to want to bring in guest artists. And Alice was the, one of the first people that I brought in to Access Living. And our, our concerts were held right here at Access Living until a few years ago when we kept saying Access Living is a terrible venue for perform you know, for dance performance. Uh, it's a wonderful building and it's, it's completely um, accessible in, in all areas, but working up in a, in a large oversized conference room does not exactly lend itself to, to dance performance. But we did it. And part of, part of the struggle was that both Alice and another uh, artist, Lisa Bufano, Lisa used crutches and they'd hit the fluorescent lights that were coming. So all their choreography had to, they had to sort of rework some of their choreography to make sure they avoided those fluorescent lights and actually the very first concert that we had that did not have either one of them um, but did include dance detour had a, a piece where the the male was lifting the female and of course she hit her head on the fluorescent lights and they we said oh, oh you got to move over a little bit so you know, it was, it was catch as catch can. But Alice has gone on to really carve out a fantastic career for, for herself. And again, some of this work comes about almost serendipitously because she had met this guy, Homer Avila, who was a dancer who challenged her, who dared her to take a dance class. So she did. And it went on from there. And she had been a professor 
of medieval studies and English or some very difficult and very esoteric subject, and then became this incredible dancer. Yes, yes. So, and and the U.S. You know, has come certainly lately into the integrated dance world. Europe has had a much longer history, uh, as I'm sure Alice has told you. Yeah, um, and even like I always think I went to school in in London in Laban. Mm-hmm. So uh, even like in the UK, dance has been part of education for you know decades for whatever 50s even maybe longer so dance itself as an access for anybody and everybody as a part of life has just been there for much longer well i know that that integrated dance was really started in england um back in the in the 60s Mm -hmm. and then was really moved forward by adam benjamin Mm -hmm. uh, who wrote this was a teacher and a a dancer and wrote this great book called Making an Entrance, which was sort of perhaps my first introduction into integrated dance. Uh, And and then DB8 Theater uh, became aware of them. And I became aware of both Adam Benjamin and DB8 Theater through going to this Axis Dance Intensive. So we, we learn from each other. We do, we do. And it's wonderful that the field, I feel like the field is coming closer in supporting each other, which feels very ne- like a necessity, an important thing to advance it as well. I, I think that that's very true. One of the things that we continue to struggle with is to be seen as a legitimate art form, to be taken seriously, to be judged on the merits of both dancer and and choreography, uh, rather than looking at, oh, isn't it nice that these disabled people are up on stage flitting around? And the other struggle that we have is getting covered in by the media. So getting dance critics to come and review the work that we do. It's gotten a little bit better, but it is still difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that, of course, early on was because we couldn't find venues that were accessible to people with disabilities, both in terms of audience and in terms of access to the stage. So there have been uh, things are better today than they were 10 or 15 years ago. But there's still ongoing issues. Do you and, feel and like... I'll... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, getting, getting funding to support our work is critical, but sometimes takes a backseat to, to other, either to other funding opportunities for a quality of life issues for people with disabilities or arts institutions or arts funders looking at non-disability uh, dance projects. So it's an ongoing dynamic that, and tension that, that we deal with. 
do you feel like things are moving a little faster in today's world for the advocacy and access part in the arts? Or do you feel like we're still struggling with the pace? I think we're still struggling with the pace. And a, a prime example of that was that there's recently been a study about where the dance world stands and sort of um, looking at the dance landscape in Chicago and integrated dance was completely left off of that study. And so we all wrote letters to the people who created that study and said, we've been around for a long time. And so they, they did apologize and they're correcting that. But I mean, we've, we've been doing this in Chicago for at least professionally since 1995 and before then. And to be invisible to this group of researchers uh, and who are working in the dance field was kind of a disappointment. Mm -hmm. They are taking steps to correct that, which is very, very good. And they apologized. But it's, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. And so one of one of the, like my things is that I feel like still like academia when they're I mean, in general, I think in higher education, when students take a dance history class, it's a very Western white focused. Mm -hmm. But definitely dance and disability is not part of it at all. Right. Right. Well, it's the new kid on the block. Yeah. <laughs> we, we kind of have to look at it, I, I think. Uh, back for one second mm -hmm. to, you asked me how I got back into dance. I think, you know, I took this hiatus because I got married and had children. So my focus was on being a, 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 a wife and a mother and, and raising three children. Once they were more adult, I could then begin to focus back. I had done, I mean, I was teaching, mm -hmm. but I could focus more once they were pretty well grown, focus more on choreography and performing for myself. Yeah. Well, I know that I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and I feel like I, now when my youngest is four, I feel like I can start look what the rest of my life is going to look like again. So I can totally relate to that. Uh-huh. Good. So Ginger, what is your absolute dream that you still want to see happening in the dance and disability world? What do you want for you? What is your like a biggest dream in your career that you haven't yet done? Hmm. What a great question. Uh, I think what I would like to see for the dance world and the integrated dance field is to work to receive a greater 
acknowledgement and appreciation for the work that is being done. Uh, I would like to see more dancers enter the field so that there are more dancers with disabilities, choreographers with disabilities entering the field so that we can grow the field and, and create a larger body of work uh, that can be handed down from generation to generation. It's a little bit different when you have disabled dancers because each body is so different from the other bodies that exist. For example, you can take a work by Martha Graham and you can set it, as long as the technique is there, you can set it on any number of people whether it's Martha Graham or Paul Taylor or Doris Humphrey uh, just, or, or uh, Anthony Tudor uh, or Frederick Ashton, you know, whether it's classical ballet or modern or contemporary work. With disability, if you're talking about physically integrated dance, and that's the arm of integrated dance that I really um, work in concert work, so performance dance, and physically integrated, which is a little bit different from including people with um, mental health issues or, or uh, congenital disabilities, which may not include a physical disability. It's hard sometimes to translate what you've created onto other dancers. So there have to be a lot of adaptation and a lot of collaboration that exists and a lot of experimentation. A lot of, and some of that experimentation comes through from contact improv. So that's where I'd like to see the field move towards a greater understanding um, of, of the issues, a greater participation and just greater involvement. What I see for myself as I'm getting older, which we all do, for, fortunately, but what I see for myself is more choreography rather than more performance. Mm -hmm. While performance is at the core and heart of what I love to do, the body gives out, and I sort of, um, but I still love to perform, and what that means for me is more of an emphasis on less is more, using gesture, using uh, attitude, turn of the head, so that you can express yourself in more subtle and deeper ways rather than, because my body, even with a disability, I can't do what I did 15 years ago. And so that doesn't mean that there isn't growth. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, very much. 
And, and also, for me, very personally, the wheelchair that I use today is not the wheelchair that I used when I created one of my very favorite pieces. It was also a, a power chair, but it was a different power chair. And this chair is different, can't have the same configuration. So your pieces change. And of course, I changed, once I started using a power chair, I changed from when I was using a manual chair. So that's the aging body that comes along with the, with the disability. And we all, you know, whether we have a disability or not, we all grow older and have to make uh, either adaptations or compromises in our lives. It's just part of life. It is. It's, there's no stopping that change. Right. There's no, and that's okay. It's, it's perfectly okay. Yes. But I, my basic philosophy is that disability, and mine is an acquired disability, so it's very different from a congenital disability or shortly after birth, is I embrace my disability, uh, I celebrate it, and just as dance is a part of who I am, disability is a part of who I am. And the idea is not to overcome my disability. The idea is to make it shine. <laughs>